You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Acts chapter 6. Going to bite off two chapters today. And so I hope you brought your lunch. The story of Stephen. And it's an amazing story. We've been studying the unstoppable church and the audacious faith of God's people, the people that God used to establish his church here on earth. And as we get to the story of Stephen, we really have the, the poster child for audacious faith. If we take all the things we learned all fall about what it means to have an audacious faith, it's all wrapped up in one person, the life of Stephen. And honestly, we were supposed to wrap up with this message before Christmas, but then the whole way the sermons went, and there's some passages I thought I could bite off, and they were just too much for one sermon, so we end up having the wrap-up to the Audacious Faith series on the first day, really, of the new year going. And so it's actually, I think, God-ordained, because Stephen, Stephen is a man who exemplifies what it is to follow Jesus in the way God desires us to follow Jesus. Stephen was a, no matter what it takes, no matter what the cost, even if it means I will die, I will follow Jesus type of guy. He's a man who wasn't here long. We don't know much about him except for these few chapters in Acts, but a man whose life is like a meteor flying through the night sky. Very brief and very brilliant and very bright and very bold. He was a powerful story of what God can and will do through someone fully yielded to him. As we start 2017, I want you to know that this is God's call for us. This is the same call that God has called every one of us to, to be men and women who put our whole lives on the line for Christ and hold nothing back in our pursuit of him. And so I'm not going to read the whole passage together today. I'm going to read the first part, summarize the second part, and read the last part. But as I go through this passage, I want you to take note of three things of how God wants me to live life to the max this year that we find through Stephen's life. Let me read this, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Here's what it says in chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Stephen is seized. Remember, Stephen, one of the, 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 the men appointed to be deacons in the church as the Apostles had so much going on that he's one of the guys that was taking care of the needs of those within the body of believers. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set out false witnesses against him who said this, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the rest of, most of chapter 7, Stephen stands up and he gives a defense of what he's preaching about. He, he gives a, an apology, he gives a, a, a gospel message to the people that were accusing him of all these things. And he concludes that gospel message with verse 49, talking about the temple. He says, says here that, but Jesus is, is the temple. He's, God doesn't dwell in a temple, he is the temple. And so he's really pointing towards Jesus Christ and how Jesus fulfills all of the history of the Jews. 
Then he calls the people to response. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, you don't understand. It is truly about Jesus. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So quick we are as believers to look at this story about Stephen and say, wow, what an awesome guy. He's a guy should put on a pedestal. He's a guy that we should admire. And, and yet, as we study the scriptures, guess what? We are all called to be Stevens in this life. We're all called to be men and women who give of our whole selves fully surrendered to the plans and the purposes of our God. And so as we get into this text, I want to first pray and pray that God will truly renew and restore within us the fullness of what he has called us to be and to do in this lifetime for his glory. Please pray with me. Father, as we look at this life of Stephen, we can't help but be like, wow, God. What a powerful reminder of what we, are, what we ought to be and what we ought to be about as we live this life, even as we live 2017 for your glory. God, our prayer this morning is just this. God, would you renew within every soul here, would you restore within every soul here a heart and a passion for Jesus Christ? Would you renew within us a desire to live our lives for the glory of the gospel, to hold nothing back from you, to be all in, in faith for Jesus Christ? God, I pray that you'd allow us to see you so clearly today, to know your call in our life so clearly that none of us would leave here unchanged by the message of your word through the life of your servant, Stephen. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So if we're going to live life in 2017 to the max for the Lord, here's three things that we learned from the life of Stephen that I want you to write down that we need to be all about. Number one is this. We need to be sold out for Jesus and his kingdom. We need to be sold out for Jesus in his kingdom. As we study the life of Stephen, many things describe him, but one word, two words describe him best of all. It's sold out. He had the energy and the zeal for the Lord that God used in a profound way as the early church was begun. We see this in the first few verses here of chapter 6, verses 8 to 15, the verses I read for you. We see Stephen being a man who was longing for more than a perfect year, than more than a pay raise this coming year. He was longing more than for all of his dreams to come true. He was longing for a character and a calling of God. He was longing for the character and the calling of God. And quite honestly, if we're going to live 2017 in a way that God is going to bless, in a way that we're going to make the most of this year for the glory of God, we have to recognize that this is the same for our lives. That God has created us in such a way 
that we're only complete when our life resembles Jesus and where life is fruitful for God's purposes like Stephen's was. Consider some of the character of Stephen as we read here. In verse 8, here's some of the character that God calls us to be about in being sold out for him and his kingdom. Verse 8, Stephen was full of grace and power. This is like the lethal combination for, you know, for, for character. It's like the one-two knockout punch of impact when it comes to living for Jesus Christ and living in Christ-likeness. Stephen was a gracious man. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that he was, he was giving out grace. It means that when people came in contact with him, they left going like, man, that is a guy so full of the love and the grace of Jesus. The way he interacted with the people, the way that, that he responded to people, when people came up to him, he'd, he'd, he'd not back away from the truth, but he'd say it in such a gracious way that people w- would realize that he, was, he had the heart of Jesus. But it wasn't this meek, mild, sit back, he's so, he's so gracious, he's so meek, he was also full of power. He had, he had confidence in the power of the Lord when he spoke. Supernatural power. Jesus' character exploded from him. Such a great blend of the Lion of Jude and the Lamb of God. He exemplified Jesus Christ. He also had profound wisdom. Look at verse 10. When they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen was a man of great wisdom. Like Peter and John in Acts 4. Remember when they, when they stood before the Sanhedrin, they give account for what they were doing? Uh, people clearly recognized that they were just regular, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And they're living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Stephen was one of these guys that when, when words would come out of his mouth, people were like, wow, how does that guy have such profound things? He was confounding the wisest of men, the most educated men, because he was so close to God that God's wisdom was taking over his wisdom. If he were to play stump the chump with the religious leaders, he'd win every time. If you were to put him on Canada's smartest person in a spiritual sense, he'd win, not because he was so intellectual, because he had the mind of Christ working within him. He was also courageous. He was sold out for Jesus and his kingdom as seen by his courage. Stephen was like the Christian Braveheart. Fearless warrior willing to stand for Jesus regardless of who stood on the other side of the battlefield or how many people stood on the other side of the battlefield. He was determined and resolved to stand for truth. He was courageous, urgently, passionately pleading for Jesus Christ. He was also a man of ministry heart. Look what he was doing in this passage. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people, it says right there in verse eight. It seems when Stephen wasn't wasn't at work, when he wasn't preoccupied with providing for his family because he probably wasn't being paid by the church, you know what he was doing? He had the heart of ministry, uh, the, the ministry heart of Jesus. He was out serving people in the physical sense but also in the spiritual sense. We don't know what Stephen did for a day job but we sure do know what he did with his spare time. Stephen wasn't the type of guy that was lounging on the couch, working out his thumbs in the evenings, surfing the, watching the, watching the, 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 the TV. He wasn't the type of guy that was, that was at home surfing the net and trying to figure out what everyone else had for supper and what the latest trends were, trying to plan his next vacation. He wasn't even the guy that was out in the shop trying to come up with the latest, greatest creation that he could show everyone how awesome he is. He wasn't the guy that was walking through the mall trying to find the next revolutionary invention that was going to change his life. You know what he was doing? He was redeeming his time for the work of the ministry. He was looking for opportunities to invest his life, to invest his life in people, in their spiritual and physical needs. And God was doing great things through him. 
I love how it says here that the great wonders and signs were being done through Stephen. In all of Acts, it's the apostles who are doing the signs and wonders and that, that here's a guy that's not an apostle. Why does God show us that Stephen was also doing this? Because I think God wants us to know that as we, as we sell out for Jesus, Jesus, as we desire to have his character become our character, as we desire to live our lives and invest the, the, the precious, it's precious, the precious time we have here on earth in God's kingdom. Here's what God will do. God will do great and mighty things through our lives. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor and called to full-time ministry. God wants to use regular, average people sold out for him to do great and mighty things through. God wants to use anyone fully surrendered to him in a great way. And so this is really the life of Stephen in verses 8 to 15. Sounds great, sounds awesome, but yet what was also happening in these verses was he was causing a stir for the glory of God. Stephen's life was anything but calm and comfortable. I'm sure as we planned our years this year, as we prayed about God, what's some words that can define my year? We probably were like, give us a calm year. Give us a comfortable year. That'd be the best 2017 ever. Those words weren't even in Stephen's vocabulary. As gracious as he was, he was riling people up for his stance for Jesus, particularly Jews from all over the region. See the freedmen? They were fired up. Who were the freedmen? They were, they were Jews that were captured by the Romans and then set free. That's the name, freedmen. The Cyrenians were the Jewish people from Cyrene and the Alexandrians. These are people from all around the region and they were so threatened by this message of Jesus. Why? Why are they getting all riled up? Because Jesus was exposing the true reality of their hearts. And he was exposing the, 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 the false heresy of their system. And so they're getting all fired up. Stephen was a guy who created a rift for Jesus, and he was okay with that. And so the Jewish people then made up some lies about him. They said, well, he's obviously blaspheming against Moses in the temple, two things that were like the religious treason of the day. If you blaspheme against Moses in the temple, like you're going to die. So as their faces are getting redder with anger, as the Israelites' faces are getting, Jewish people are getting redder with anger, what's, what's, what's Stephen's face doing? It's glowing. Like when Moses came off meeting with Mount Sinai, he is glowing with the presence of the Lord. Get to the end of these verses, and I'm just like, oh, wow, this is one special guy, isn't it? This is one guy, I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, I'm like, I want my life to look like Stephen. In fact, I just want my life to look like Stephen. I want everyone in our church, I want our lives to look like Stephen. This isn't a story here that God can say, put Stephen up on a pedestal. This is a story that God can show us how we're going to live life to the max in this coming year, how we're going to live life to the full for Jesus' name in this coming year. This is what our lives ought to look like. This is a reality of what a believer is that has been transformed by the gospel. Remember, the church is only a few weeks old, maybe a few months old, and this, this guy was not even a believer not too long ago, and here's what happens when we're transformed by the gospel. We become these men and women who so desperately just want the quality and characteristics of Jesus in our lives. We so desperately just want to make a difference for other people that everything else becomes secondary, and our bucket list, our bucket list at the top of them is simply this. I want the character and the calling of Jesus to be real in my life. Pray that those are on the top of your bucket list for this year as you think through what God wants to accomplish through your life. Two things we see here that we can't miss is that we need to be devoted to embodying the character of Christ. As I read these qualities that I just even listed for you that, that call out Stephen, that show us who he is, the grace and the power and the wisdom and the courage, I pray that somewhere on your 
to-do list for this coming year on your I hope God does in my life are some of these character qualities that God wants to give us that will change our lives if we have them. More than growing your business this year, more than expanding your job connections or building your financial portfolio or, or, or growing your family or strengthening your relationship base or advancing your skills, God wants us this year to be about growing in his character and in his likeness. Just take stock of your life right now. Do these, does my life look like the life of Stephen in these things? Would those closest to me be able to say, wow, as I read this passage, sort of like describing so-and-so. I want you to know this as you think about this coming year. I want you to know this as we see throughout all of Scripture, especially in, 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 even in Acts and the people that God uses. God cares more about who you are becoming this year than what you are doing this year. God cares more about the person you are becoming this year than what you are going to do for him this year. Do you? I think so often we can divorce the character within us and the work we do for God. And we sometimes pat ourselves on the back by thinking, well, I'm doing good for God. I'm doing for good, for good for God. So I'll ignore all the things in my character, in my heart that aren't lining up with God. We need to be devoted together this year to embodying the character of Christ. This is what it means to, be, to live an all-in faith, an audacious faith. Men and women embodying the character of Christ also need to be this year men and women who are determined for ministry to be our lives. Men and women determined for ministry to be our lives. Even these few verses of Stephen's life here. I pray that you're even looking at this inspired in some way to be done with passive, sideline, sitting faith, which really isn't faith at all, and want to cause a stir for the glory of Jesus in 2017. I know our culture says, well, we're not supposed to cause a stir. We're supposed to be cautious and careful let me tell you this, nobody who was sold out for Jesus was ever cautious and careful in their faith, including Stephen. So many times we want to be noticed, we want to be noticed, but what we forget is that what our job is, what our goal is as believers, is to not make people notice us. They're, we're to live our lives so that people notice Jesus, and when people notice Jesus, there is going to be a residual stir that happens. I get it. And some of you are like, well, that's why I don't want to be all in for my faith. And yet, get this, God calls you to be all in for your faith. To move beyond the thinking about enlisting in God's army and actually putting your life to use on the front lines in the battle for souls for all of eternity. Clearly, Stephen was a guy who was all in and he was into the battle. Let me ask you this. 357 days left this year, 8,568 hours, give or take, 514,080 minutes. How are you going to invest yourself this year for the glory of God? What are you going to do with those minutes? They're precious minutes. We don't know how many of them we really have. What are you going to be determined to do with those minutes this year, are you going to allow your life to enter the battle and cause a stir for the kingdom of God, putting the enemy on alert? Or will you ride through this year on cruise control, barely causing anyone to notice the Lord that died for your soul? This is your last year on earth. Let's be honest, every January 1st, I'm amazed that God gave me another year. We don't take him for granted, do we? 
This is your last year left on earth. What are you going to invest in this year? Are you going to be like Stephen? Or are you going to be like the world? Are you going to invest in, in yourself or your family, your employer, your bank account, your physical fitness? You know, what are you going to invest in? Are you going to invest in your Savior and your character and your calling? God desires every one of our lives to be a meteor for Jesus. Brilliant and bright and bold. This is God's plan for your life. He doesn't care about your bucket list, to be honest. He's got a bucket list that's far better for your life this year than you could ever have. And on that bucket list is the second thing we see in this passage. If we're gonna make 2017 live it to the max this year, we're also gonna have a, be passionate to let God's story be known. We're also gonna be passionate to let God's story be known. I love how Stephen, in the midst of this, it's, it's really chaos. In the midst of this chaos, he is so not shy to stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ. I, I know we've hit this before a number of times in the fall, but this is what Acts is all about, remember? You are called to be my witnesses. And so don't get tired of hearing this because we're going to hear it over and over again, even all spring until we finally get it and finally live it. But Stephen's a guy who's passionate to let God's story be known. So they're like, hey, Stephen, so what do you say about that, hey? Blasphemer, what do you got to say about that? You want to say something? Stephen's like, yeah, I'll say something. Give me the mic. He stands up in front of this rowdy, angry crowd. And you know what all he does is for the rest of chapter 7? I'm not going to read it for you. I'm going to summarize it for you. But for all of chapter 7, you see Stephen's speech there? Here's what he does. He basically simply stands up and tells the people the story of God from the very beginning and explains them how Jesus Christ fulfills the story of God. Honestly, at first read through this this week, I was like, well, there's nothing revolutionary in there to tell our people. It's simply the story of God. He starts at Abraham. How did, how did God's work get started on this earth? He called Abraham out, right? Because Abraham was awesome? No, because God chose to call out a man. Abraham, Isaac, all Genesis. He talks them through Genesis, right through to Joseph, a type of Christ showing them that, hey, just what Joseph did in, in taking the people out and releasing them from, from famine, God, Jesus is going to release us. Then he gets to Moses and Moses in the burning bush experience. And what did Moses do? Moses, also another type of Christ who released his people from slavery and part of the Red Sea, goes through Moses and he gets to Joshua and how they got to the promised land. And then he goes to David and to Solomon and how they built the temple. But it wasn't a temple for the Reality of Jesus to signify his presence. The reality that is, is that, that, that God doesn't need a temple. God doesn't need a temple. Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill all of Moses' law. And he's even going to be the temple for his people. And so it's really not a rocket science story. He just kind of walks through history from Genesis, Exodus, right up through to the time. And then he calls his people, as I read here, he calls his people to hear and to, to, to not reject the fact that God was doing something unique in the world through Jesus Christ. He calls them to action. He's pretty harsh, stiff-necked people, like stubborn. But he has an urgency to be like, hey, this is a message you can't miss. This is a message that is important for you. Here's what we learned from chapter 7. You can read this. I trust you'll read this this afternoon and, and uh, in the week ahead. But here's what we learned from chapter seven in Stephen's life that we ought to adopt in our lives as well. Is that Stephen was resolved to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a bunch of sermons in Acts. This is one of the many sermons we're gonna study, we're gonna look at quickly in Acts. And I love how every sermon in Acts is really an evangelistic message. 
And what it does, though, it shows us different ways in how we can share our faith. They're never the same. It shows us different ways in how we can share our faith. What's this way teaching us? That we simply have to do this as believers. Stand up and share God's story, and God does the rest. Just stand up and share God's story. Where do I start in sharing my faith? People ask me that. Where do I start? Why don't you start with just sharing God's story? He created. He, it seems simple, right? But then I realize, you know, I get so many blank stares that I share that simple truth to tell God's story. You know why? Because so many Christians today in the church don't even know God's story. I've been a Christian for like five years or 10 years, but I don't know the story of God. Why? Because I never pick up my Bible. If we're going to share God's story, the first thing we've got to do is know God's story. And somehow in our culture, we've gotten away from thinking that any of these Old Testament things matter. It's just New Testament now. It's, new. it's not. It's the whole book, 66, 66 books given to us so that we can share the story of God with those who desperately need a Savior. If you're one of those people in here today that don't know where to start sharing your faith, just simply this, just follow Stephen's example and share the story of God. You don't know the story of God? You gotta start there this year. You have to start there. There's no such thing as being a follower of Christ who doesn't know the Bible. So if you don't know the Bible, I encourage you and challenge you, this, make this the year, at the top of your to-do list this year, make this the year that I am gonna know God's story. I'm not gonna keep calling myself a Christian and never opening up the book. Do you realize it only takes you, it's going to take forever, it only, this is how long it's going to take you to read the story from top to bottom, the whole book right here, from top to bottom, it's going to only take you 90 hours. Like, that's a lot of hours, not when you consider how much you watch TV, and how much you, and how much you piddle away on the internet, and all those things, 90 hours, you know what that is? That's like three or four chapters a day, 12 minutes a day, for this whole year, you can get through this whole book and know God's story front to back. You know, I think for some people, they're, reason why we don't talk about God, it's a cover because we really don't know God and we don't really don't know God's story. And so we can talk about fishing and hunting, we can talk about the leaves, we can talk about the weather, we can talk, as soon as it comes to God, like whoosh, mouth closed. Why is that? I think it's because a lot of people really don't know God's story because they're not in God's word. I just want to challenge you and encourage you to, 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 first of all, know God's word this year. Make it a priority that this year I am determined and I'm going to discipline myself to simply know God's word. There's no greater story you could ever know or share. The second part of this whole chapter, I think, is you know God's story, then you share God's story. Again, what a greater way to start 2017 than with this challenge to be resolved that this is the year that I'm going to put fear behind me and actually stand up and proclaim God's story. If Stephen can do it, just a regular guy like me, then surely God can empower me to do it. You know how the church grows? As God's people share. As God's people tell the story of God. Some of us, I am convinced, have been Christians a long time, and you have never, ever shared the story of God with anybody before in your life. God wants you to leave here today with a deeper resolve to share the message of Jesus Christ with those around you. There's so much, so much at stake that we can't afford to not share this message. If we really believe it, we will share it. The good news of Jesus Christ is all simply that Stephen was sharing as he's telling the story of God throughout all of history. I often think too how short life is. It's not just me that I'm amazed has another year to live and breathe, it's those that I love. What a blessing to have still with us here on this earth. I think sometimes we take years for granted 
We're already looking ahead to the next year, what we're gonna do with next year's income tax return. We take years for granted. And yet the reality is maybe there's some people that are in your life this year that might not be there next year. Now is the time to take seriously all in faith. It means that I will step up and share my faith with others. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what anyone thinks. I love Jesus and I want other people to know the reality of Jesus too. If we're gonna live a life that God is gonna bless this year, a life that is gonna make an impact to the max for him, it involves passionately sharing Jesus Christ and finally it involves this being determined to lay my life down for Jesus. Being determined to lay my life down for Jesus. Pick back up from the text. Summarize chapter seven for you. Stephen begging the people, calling them out to stop having hard hearts, to stop resisting the Holy Spirit, to acknowledge that they're killing, they killed Jesus and, and every time they make a decision to walk away from him, they're killing him again. Look what happens in verse 54. Stephen was determined to lay his life down for Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I don't, I've been pretty mad before. Have you ever been mad to the point where you ground your teeth? What's that mean? It means that they're probably so angry. They're just like, they're so, this guy's telling us we're wrong. He's, he's telling us that we're chasing the wrong things. They're so mad. They're just like, wanting to kill him. But he, look what happens to Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped, stopped their ears. They plugged their ears instead of, la, 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 la. They're rushing at him and, and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at their feet of a young man named Saul. Circle that name. We're going to learn about him in a couple weeks. And as they were stoning Stephen, look at what he said. How could he even get close to this because he was so close to the Lord? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell into a deep sleep. In other words, he died. You and I both realize that if we're going to live in all-out faith, it's, going to, it's probably going to cause not just a little bit of stir, it's going to cause us to be in, in, in wild predicaments in our lives. And I believe that's what keeps most of us, stories like this, from ever entering into an all-in faith. We, we want the fullness of Jesus. We want God to do great things for our lives, but we're never going to cross that line of being all-in because what if this happens? What if God causes people not to like me? What if God causes my, my job to be lost? What if God causes financial loss? What if God even takes my life? Here's Stephen. Here's Stephen. We can learn from Stephen. Stephen's determined to lay down his life for Christ no matter what the cost. And you have to know, even in this, as barbaric as this stoning is, this is even a step further than what the law of the day called for. In the law of the day, if someone defamed the temple and Moses, you know what they did? They push him off a 10-foot cliff and drop some heavy boulders on them if they're still alive. This is, this is so angry, so emotional, they're not even worrying about a cliff, they're just getting as many stones as they can, they're hurling them at him to the point where Stephen dies and there's an autopsy report on Stephen, it would simply be this blunt force trauma to the head. What was Stephen's response? Basically, your will be done, God. My life is in your hands. I live my life for you, God, not for me. 
And so this is what you have for me. Receive my spirit. And may your purposes be fulfilled. This is an awesome story. This is a, this is a powerful challenge for us. Somehow, between the time of Stephen and 2017, this year, we've made Christianity this easy peasy, comfy, cozy, as long as I have a nice warm feeling in my heart, as long as people affirm me, as long as, as, long as I'm getting what, all the blessings of the Lord and all the ways I think it should bless me, then this is what it means to be all in. This is not what it means to be all in. It never has in history. It doesn't mean that now. This is a challenge for us to step up and put our lives on the line for Christ like Stephen did. But we live in Canada in 2017, yes, but there is still ways to step up and put our lives on the line like Stephen did. We probably won't be called to be like the 21 Egyptian Christians on a Libyan beach in orange jumpsuits getting our heads cut off. Maybe, maybe not now, maybe in the future, but probably that's not what we're called to. But as Vince Vance Havner says, we may never be martyrs, but we are called to die to self, to die to sin, to die to the world, to die to our plans, and to die to our ambitions. Well, that doesn't so much sound like fun. How's that about me and God blessing me and empower? Don't you get it? It's not about us. It never has been about us. Our lives don't exist for our glory or our plans or our agendas or our purposes. Our lives have always existed for Jesus and Jesus' purposes. Jesus doesn't follow us. We are called followers of Jesus. Luke 14, 27, Jesus tells us that Stephen is just living out our calling. Jesus says this, that those unwilling to sacrifice their lives for him cannot be his disciple. Here's what it says, whoever does not bear their own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're like me, I look around and we don't have too many modern day examples of Stephen. Couple. I think it's time. I think God's calling us to have more of Stevens in our church. To have more of Stevens in your homes. The parents to be raising up Stevens in your homes to be modeling Stevens to the church around us. Average people simply willing to fully surrender to Jesus Christ. Our, we've become so comfy and so passive, we're so quick to apologize for our faith instead of agonize for our faith. And in essence, we don't even live a life of faith. It's a superficial man's definition of what faith is but it looks nothing like the faith of God's word. Stephen's a, I go after Jesus no matter what. I live to follow Jesus even if he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. When is the last time you put on your bucket list for the coming year? This year, I want to die to myself and live for Jesus. It's constant. They have a battle of a believer. Dying to myself and living for Jesus. Every day I have to wake up like, God, I need to die to myself and live for Jesus. I remember the first time I felt called to ministry. Man, that wasn't my plan for my life. 
at all. In fact, I have a little collage in our basement. Somehow it's still with us that I did in grade 12. We know what collage is. I just had to learn that word again. It's a bunch of pictures you paste on a thing to, to what your life wants, to, what, you, what you think your life is going to look like. And I have an athlete in the middle. Apparently that didn't work. Maybe I thought I was going to grow since grade 12. I don't know. They got a nice Lamborghini on there. I got a nice vacation spot on there. I've got a, all the things, that, you know, a nice pile of cash on there. I've got a, you know, like all these things. That, you know the call of Christ is? Done with that one. Build me a new collage, Jesus. It's going to look nothing like mine. But it's going to be far more satisfying than any collage I could ever make. And even when it's painful, it's going to be joyful because we are going to be following the Lord and his plans for us. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know why we're such an unhappy generation? You know why there's so, so much lack of joy in our churches today? Because we've never lost our lives for the sake of Jesus. We want Jesus in my life too, and Jesus is saying, it doesn't work that way, it's one or the other. Look at Stephen, it doesn't work that way, it's one or the other. Either you lose it, or you find it. I'm praying that this year will be a year that we decide as a church, that you decide as individuals and as families, that you're going to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. What a challenge, what a challenge. Not another year just coax, coaxing through life, coasting through life. Calling ourselves Christians by name only, but actually embodying a life of surrender to Jesus. It's a good challenge for us. It's also this is a good comfort to us. It's not just a challenge to us. Look at the comfort in this passage as we read the, the last minutes of Stephen as we read, the, read the, the last moments of his life we see Stephen being filled with such an amazing grace and assurance in this passage that God is with him and that God carries him from this life to the next when I put it all on the line for Jesus this is what God will do in my life too look at these things God will meet you the comfort here's the comfort God will meet you but he, full of the Holy Spirit, was full of the Holy Spirit. It means that God met him there. It means that he was filled with the, the overflowing presence of God. It means that he had strength like he's never known strength before. It means that he, if he was on the outside looking, he's like, how could that guy have peace? But he, he couldn't explain it, but he had peace. Look at his face is glowing. A glowing face is not one that's in angst. A glowing face is one that's in peace. God met him in that place. God revealed himself to Stephen in a greater way. Look at he gazed into heaven. What do you see when he gazed into heaven? The glory of God. Most of us say, I love to see the glory of God. I want to see the glory of God. Be like Moses. God, show me your glory. You know what happens when we put it all on the line for Jesus? We don't put it all on the line for Jesus. We're not going to see his glory. Stephen, looking into heaven, he's seeing the picture of God. He's seeing Jesus right here. He's like, I've never seen such a picture of Jesus. He's consumed with the glory of God. I even don't think that the stones even hurt his face because he was so consumed with the glory of God. I don't even think he heard the jeers of the people. Why? Because he was so consumed with the glory of God. There's something greater. God was elevating him to a new heights in his relationship with him because he was willing to step over this line and say, I am all in for Jesus. At the end, it says that God carried him home. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He obviously was close enough to Jesus that he uttered the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Father, forgive them. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And God carried him home. 
It's a beautiful picture of not just the first martyr, but if you read stories of martyrs, every martyr who actually put it all on the line for Jesus, every martyr experienced something close to this. You and I sit back like, oh, I wish God would do that in my life. Oh, man, if, if God could only meet me like that in church on Sunday, if God, if he will, but, but here's the thing that we have to use. Not tiptoeing and poking the line, not, not like standing on the line, not straddling the line. It's a, it's a, I'm all in, and when we're all in, God will do every one of those things in your life too. He will meet you there. He will reveal himself to you. He will carry you home. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of the life of Stephen. This is the beauty of a life that is fully engaged in all in faith for Jesus. Quite honestly, I've been praying. I've been praying hard that, God, would you do this anew in me? God, would you do this anew in us? We don't have time for complacent church. We don't have time for superficial Christianity. God has something so much deeper than that for us, so many more blessings, so much more impact, so much more fruit, so much awareness of the presence of God. I've been praying earnestly, God, would you revive this sort of spirit in us? Would you make me, would you make us a church of Stevens, O oh Lord? Grace and power, courage and wisdom willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to live this life for the, to the full, for the glory of God. Would you make us more like Stephen? Lord, I pray that's your prayer today. I pray that out of simply what comes out of this sermon is this, that you'd have a deeper resolve to follow Jesus and you wouldn't look back. That this year, you'd scrap that silly bucket list that we're told to make by I don't know who. You'd throw it out and you'd say, I'm gonna make a new bucket list, I'm gonna get my word, I'm gonna see what God wants for me in 2017 and I'm committed to living it. We sing this little song once in a while in our church and it has the lyrics that say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, because Christ is enough. Let me ask you this, is Christ really enough for you? Have you really jumped over the line and you're willing to be like a Stephen? Even if it means that you got like another five months, another year, another five years, and, and even in the world's eyes you'd be cut short, but in God's eyes you would have lived a full life. Are you willing to follow Jesus, no turning back? We sing the song, but you know where the song came from? Let me end this, and then we're going to sing it together. That song actually is not song, a song some guy just decided to write sitting in this comfy little home with the fireplace on, with the music in the background gently playing him to sleep. It's a story about a man who, we don't even know his name, an unnamed man, but it's a true story. Late 1800s, there's a big revival in Wales, and many people came to know Christ, and, and out of this revival, so many people were impassioned to take the message of Jesus to northern India. And so a bunch of missionaries went to northern e India to the Assam region, which was comprised of hundreds of primitive tribal communities that were known for their viciousness and their headhunting. And so these missionaries take the message of the gospel and to put it on the line for Jesus, take this message of the gospel to this primitive area of northern India. And as they got there, obviously they weren't met with hugs and kisses, they were met with opposition and pain and sorrow and they labored at it and they labored at it and finally one day there was a breakthrough in one of the tribes, this one man actually, the, the Lord allowed him, Jesus allowed him to hear the message and see it and believe it and he repented of his sins and he became saved. 
And he was so on fire for Jesus that he shared Christ with his wife and his two sons who also became saved. And a little transformation happened in this little hut. And, and the little transformation was spreading around the region. And people were getting excited. And so the, the, the tribal chief got really angry about this because it was messing up their whole system and everything. And so he called this man and his family. He pulled him out into the middle of the tribe. And they set him down. And he said, okay, you have, you have one option. You can either recant or you can die. The man said, I can't do it. He said, okay, let me put it to you this way then. He, he, Recant and deny Jesus in your faith or I'm going to kill your two boys right in front of you. Holy Spirit led this man saying this song in whatever language he's saying. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Before the words even off his lips, there was arrows in both of his sons and they were, fell beside him twitching. And before they were done twitching, another question came. He's like, so are you going to recant now or are you going to keep going? Or do we have to do this to your wife too? response to this man, he looked up and he kept singing. He said this, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Of course, his wife's body joined his sons before him. And the chief said one more time, you have one more shot at it. You can recant or you will join your family. To which the song came out of this man's lips, the cross before me the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Family of believers piled up in the middle of the road in northern India that day. The chief, as the arrow went through that man, astounded, thought to himself, why in the world would this man be willing to give up at all for some guy that lived 2,000 years ago that he's never met? There must be something to this faith. There's got to be something to this faith. And as the story goes, apparently it's a very true story. Missionaries from USA went there a number of years later, and it was, it's not a legend. It was so alive and real in the people that they heard the story and brought it back here and gave it to a Canadian who put lyrics to it and the words, and that's why we sing it today. But this chief is like, there's got to be something to this. The minister followed, he became saved, which started a revival in the whole tribe, which spread throughout the whole land. All because, all because one person was willing to have an all-in faith. Many people, actually, the missionaries, and this one man was willing to have an all-in faith and hold nothing back and live his life for the glory of God. As we sing this song uh, right now, I want to encourage you to make this more than a song because we study the life of Stephen. This is what God calls every one of us to. This isn't someone to put a saint in front of their name and put their plaque on the wall or name a church after them. This is what God calls every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ to be and to do. Beginning of a new year, what a great time to recommit, recommit that my life this year is going to be focused on Jesus' character, his ministry, his story, and no matter what it takes, no matter where the road leads, I'm gonna to commit to living an audacious faith to see the glory of God revealed and the gospel ignited in this land. And if we achieve that in 2017, that is a successful year because what anyone else thinks or says. Are you in? Let me pray. What a story, Lord. 
thank you for preserving this story for us that we might know exactly the character and the heartbeat of those who went before us, who followed you with all of their minds, souls, and hearts and strength. God, I simply pray this today. God, would you make us men and women like Stephen? God, if there's people here that have never even jumped over the line, they've been flirting with belief, they've been talking about maybe accepting you as Savior, but they've never surrendered their life to you, would today be the day, God, where they say, enough about me, I'm all in for Jesus. This is what I need and what I want, what my soul needs to be alive in Jesus. God, I pray for those that are here that call themselves Christians, but they've never even really lived out their faith at all. They come to church and they do some good things, but that's all that their faith entails. God, that's not faith. That's cultural conformity to a religious norm. God, I pray today that you cause us to be people who are all in for you. Mold our characters, God. Shape our lives. Use us and those around us. Give us boldness to share your story. Give us faith beyond ourselves. Help us to encounter you, God, in real ways we live out our calling in Jesus Christ. God, I pray there would not be one complacent Christian in this place. I pray there would not be one unsaved soul in those in our lives that would have not heard the message from us. Would you revive us, O oh Lord, to this calling which is so vastly vital to our lives. And would you revive our church, Lord, to be on fire. All in for you and for your purposes. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you have shown us the ultimate example in Jesus Christ and that you have given up everything for us. You gave your son and your son so willfully walked to the cross to give up his all that we might have Jesus an abundant life and this glorious calling. May he be our focus and may he be our motivation. In Jesus' name, amen.